This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host Jane Brown. The Prime Minister is in British Columbia, where a two-day session with his MPs gets underway later today in Kelowna. And it's not lost on observers that the meeting is taking place amid smoke from nearby wildfires. Now, many MPs are finishing up the summer barbecue circuit when they talk with constituents about how the government is doing. Liberal MP John McKay represents Toronto Scarborough Guildwood riding. He said that his observation is that the Canadian public is still in love with the prime minister, primarily because of his handling of NAFTA and U.S. President Donald Trump. Is this the case? Are you in love with the prime minister? Do you think he's doing an okay job or are you dissatisfied and counting down until the next federal election two years from now? We want to hear from you. 416-360-0740 or 1-866-740-4740. Joining us for today's discussion is Michael Diamond of Upstream Strategy Group and Conservative MP for Milton, Lisa Raitt. Thanks both for joining us. Thank you. Let's start with Michael. What do you think about that assessment? Is the country in love with Prime Minister Trudeau? Well, you know, it's funny. You, you, you started off by saying that we're two years into the mandate, and uh, I'm thinking this has been the longest two years that I can remember in, in, uh, <laughs> in my lifetime because uh, I'm certainly done with it, and I'm not your average uh, voter here. So I do think there's certainly on a superficial level some support for the prime minister for his style. But then when you get down on it, I mean, Canadians look back at things like his bizarre eulogy for, uh, for uh, Fidel Castro and these little issues where he's really showing how offside he is with average Canadians and on the pocketbook issues, and I think Lisa Raitt's doing a great job of uh, holding him to account on this, uh, he's really offside with your uh, rank-and-file voter. Let's talk about the issues one by one. Um, Lisa, the biggest issue, or at least the one that seems to be getting the most attention in the media, is the elimination of tax rules for small business owners that the government says gives wealthy small business owners an unfair tax advantage. Now, there are consultations going on until October 2nd, but what would the Conservatives like to say to the Liberals about that? For such a fundamental change... Why is it only 75 days that they started in the dead of summer? People actually didn't even begin to realize the impact that this was going to have on them personally or the impact that it could have on the economy till around the first week of August, maybe. Um, And a lot of good reasons. I mean, small business people, farmers, fishers, they're actually out working and getting their, their jobs done and earning their um, their revenue and their income for the year, and to have uh, your tax lawyer or your accountant call you in the middle of the year and say, hey, you have a major problem coming. Um, it's time to stop working and start talking about this. And that's the kind of situation we're facing right now. It's a strange time to start it in the middle of summer unless they were just trying to slip it past everybody, that sneaky summer tax kind of thing. Right. Now, when we, um, when we reference small business owners, what 
portion, what percentage of small business owners would be described as wealthy? Well, that's the thing. I mean, the Canadian Federation of Independent Business and even the minister in her own documents, when they take a look at small business across the country, it's um, it's like less than less than two thirds. Uh, sorry, less than seventy three thousand. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm stumbling on the numbers, but let me put it this way. The overwhelming majority of small business owners make a lot less than what Bill Morneau and, and Justin Trudeau says that they're making. And I encourage people to look at the CFIB for what the numbers are. But they're staggering. And I think it's 73 percent make under one amount, and then half of those make less than $23,000 a year. It's pretty, it's pretty stunning. We're talking about a lot of people that make less than $100,000 a year. These aren't the very wealthy. And is it true that the biggest issue with these changes, which interestingly, the Trudeau liberals are calling loopholes, they're not loopholes, they've been rules that have been in in place for some time. Would the biggest issue be deferring some of your income to a family member who doesn't necessarily work for your small business? There's two things that actually have caught the attention of a lot of families. You know, when you start a family business, it's the family that's involved And although one partner, man or woman, may stay at home with the kids to make sure that the home life still functions as it should while the other goes on and and takes on a small business, it doesn't mean they're not working in the business. And now all of a sudden, somebody sitting at a desk in Ottawa is going to determine whether or not that work you put in every single day, the stress that you feel, the mortgage you put on your house, the credit cards that you ran up, whether or not that is a reasonable amount of work dedicated to the small business to allow you you get a small dividend or a small income salary. And I think that's atrocious. I think it doesn't recognize the the struggles that small business goes through. The other one that's important, Jane, if I may, and it's specifically having to do with professional women, is the ability to grow income within your company and hold on to it. And, you know, if you become a doctor, if you become a psychologist, if you are becoming an engineer, there's a lot of years of study and there's a lot of debt that you rack up in the meantime, and it all comes to a head exactly when you're supposed to be having kids in your 30s. So you put off going out and, and, and making sure you start having your kids, you still have the debt, but you know that in your company you're going to have the ability to take a little bit of a mat leave because you don't get maternity leave when you're a doctor. It, you're not an employee of anybody but yourself mm-hmm. and a servant to, to the public in terms of providing service. So I and they didn't even notice it. You know, that's the thing. They talk about this gender lens all the time. It didn't even occur to them that a woman affected would be someone other than a housewife because that's all that they said in their gender analysis, that there's many more men who run small businesses than women who run small businesses. Therefore, uh, it's not going to have an effect. And they missed a whole part of society. That's the problem with this being so rushed. They haven't thought it through. We're speaking with Milton MP for the Conservatives, Lisa Raitt and Michael Diamond of Upstream Strategy Group. And as I expected, the lines are jammed. You want to weigh in on whether what Liberal MP John McKay says is, in fact, the truth. Are you in love with Prime Minister Justin Trudeau at the halfway point of his mandate? Let's get to the phones. Michael in Pickering, go ahead. You're on first. Hello. Hi, Michael. Go ahead. You're on Zoomer Radio. Yeah, I just want to say quickly, uh, I think that uh, we're lucky to have a smart, good-looking, young prime minister who understands the Canadian needs. And uh, would you rather have someone like that guy they got south of the border? I think we're very lucky. His dad was good. I voted for him in the early 70s, and I voted for his son now. And I think we should be very lucky. 
Michael, thank you for that. Okay. And from a strategy point of view, um, Michael Diamond, uh, in t- what what the Liberal MPs are saying is that, in particular, with NAFTA, with U.S. President Trump, uh, Justin Trudeau is doing a fantastic job. Would you say, in terms of a strategy point of view, that is in fact the case? A lot of the communications coming out of the government around uh, issues uh, with the United States, I think they have actually done a good job on. But that said, it's now is the time it's going to start to get hard for them. These the, the NAFTA talks are going into a, a more difficult spot uh, right now. Okay, we've did we lose him altogether? Um, do we if we've got? Oh, we've lost both of them. Okay, well our technical team will get them uh, back on the line. In the meantime, I'm going to the back to the phones. Let's go to Dennis in Brampton. Hi, Dennis. Hi, it's uh, Dennis in Brampton. Yep. Thanks for taking my call. No problem. Uh, with respect to the small business and the um, the tax uh, loopholes, mm-hmm. uh, I've been both a, um, a salaried individual and I've also owned a small business. And I can tell you, and I'll use Lisa's numbers, that the vast majority of those small businesses are earning $100,000. At the end of the day, you don't have uh, enough money to put into a corporation uh, because you need every, all the earnings to meet your day-to-day needs. And so the vast majority of those small businesses, 100,000, are sole proprietorships and cannot take advantage of the tax loopholes and pay taxes like everyone else. The issue I have with some of these businesses are uh, they are not active businesses. So if you have an active business and you're investing in growth, uh, that's one thing. It's another thing to have a passive business sitting there creating no jobs, really doing nothing but benefiting from the tax loopholes. So those are the ones that I think uh, the government is correct on in addressing. That's my comment. Thank you. Okay, thanks very much for calling in. Uh, um, We've got both of our guests back, Michael Diamond and Lisa Wright. Sorry about that, guys. We've just had some last-minute technical difficulties. Michael, you were in the middle of talking about uh, Trudeau's relationship with Trump and the the NAFTA issues. Yes, so so, as uh, where we left off... uh, the communications around the relationship with Donald Trump and with the White House, it, it's been quite good. The, you know, uh, friendship, uh, which in my experience in politics, more often than not means I don't hate you, then I'm actually your friend uh, with Gerald Butts and Steve Bannon. I mean, that's all I think been uh, very, very good at a superficial level. But right now, the NAFTA talks are going to get more difficult. And uh, I think a lot of Canadians are going to be concerned that the government has any goals beyond preserving an agreement that is as close to the current agreement as possible and that they're throwing in things about the environment and other issues. That's just not the time uh, for these issues. We need to put a uh, strong case together to keep this agreement intact uh, as much of the status quo as as we can possibly get uh, from Donald Trump. So that's where they're going to run into trouble moving ahead. And Lisa, we'll get your comment on that before we get back to the phones. Um, We're basically kind of getting a midterm report card from Zoomer Radio listeners today at the halfway point in Prime Minister Trudeau's mandate. Your thoughts on how Trudeau and his MPs are dealing with NAFTA and Trump? So I'm going to be cautiously optimistic that we're going to end up having a a NAFTA deal that's positive for the country. Um, You know, we're united um, 
in terms of making sure that we get the best deal possible. And I'm not going to be critical about what the what the government is doing now, simply because we have to pull in this together. And I appreciate very much that everybody's putting into what um, the, the negotiating table. And I know that they've reached out broadly to talk to lots of different people within Canada, and I think that's good. But what matters, as Michael said, is how you negotiate at the table and they are taking some tactics right now that concern me, um, bringing up labor, bringing up Indigenous rights. These are hot-button issues for the United States, very different mentality towards it than we have here in Canada. But that may be part of a strategy. So I'm a wait-and-see kind of girl, and I definitely hope that they're going to bring home a deal because our country really needs it. Well, isn't that refreshing to have a member of the opposition be supportive of the government in power? Well, we thank you for that. And I often find, Lisa, and I, I don't know how much direction you are getting from your new leader, Andrew Scheer, about what you can and can't say to reporters. Are you cautioned to or, or can you speak your mind? It seems today as if you're speaking your mind. Always did. Always have. Yeah. I am. Yeah. No, I just, you know, for me, I just communicate based upon how I know my constituents feel and what I hear from across the country, I know that this small business tax grab is going to be a problem in the real time for people. But I want your listeners to think about what the knock-on effects of this is. It's going to have an effect on health care. Health is the number one thing that we talk about in our community all the time. And we're lucky to be getting a new hospital here in Milton, but it's obviously top of mind for a lot of folks. And the doctors are saying very clearly that it's going to be difficult to not just retain doctors, because everyone says, oh, the doctor's not going to move away, but that brain drain of new graduates taking a look at whether or not it's going to be lucrative enough or it's going to be, you know, whether or not the payoff is going to be good enough for them to stay in Canada and work. And I think that's something that we should guard against, um, quite frankly. And I worry that having a situation where, on one hand, they're encouraged to incorporate, to keep the costs low provincially, and on the on the federal level, it's taken away from them. They kind of get whipsawed on it, and I think you'll see a lot of new graduates who have $200,000 in debt wondering whether or not it's going to be sunnier skies to the south of the border, and we have to worry about that. Let's get back to the phones. Joan in Oshawa, go ahead. You're on Zoomer Radio's Fight Back. How are you today? Fine, thanks. What's oh, your comment great. or question? Um, well, I want to... Uh, I want to uh, agree with the lady that was just speaking. Lisa Rae. With Lisa Rae, yes. yes. Um, I, I'm this problem with NAFTA. I'm concerned too as well because it's totally different south of the border, including the uh, dairy and the beef. Because up here we have the dairy and beef board. In the states they don't. Well, that's not our problem. I mean, they have um, free enterprise down there where, you know, each farmer is competing against the other farmers. And that's the way they designed it in the United States. Up here, it's different. And I'm concerned that Trudeau uh, will kind of go off the rail um, if they try to, how would you call it, sideswipe him with uh, questions uh, about other issues that aren't part of NAFTA. Right. And, well, and that's a good NAFTA, question. NAFTA fall apart. Okay, Joan, thanks for calling in. Um, to both of you then, what about what the Americans might regard as sidebar issues, kind of insult, inside baseball issues for Canadians only? 
Well, and that, that's why it's very important that in the negotiations that it's a very uh, singular task of preserving an agreement that is, uh, will, will create strong trade opportunities for Canada with the United States and Mexico and not adding in these other issues that are, 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 are of a domestic nature and that we should strive to do better at. I mean, nobody is against uh, cleaner air and cleaner water, and we, we can work on that domestically while still preserving our trade relationship with a very important trade path. When we, yeah. yeah, go ahead, Lisa. Sorry, I was going to just to give some insight. I was um, I was a labor minister for three years, between 2010 and 2013, and I actually managed that labor portion of the NAFTA agreement. And I will tell you honestly that the United States administration under Mr. Obama, which would have been a democratic, left-leaning kind of administration, had no desire to have any kind of trilateral meetings with ourselves in Mexico because they knew what kind of difficulties come of that chapter and the thorny issues associated with it. So remember, NAFTA is not just about tweaking it at the table. This is an agreement that needs to be passed by the United States Congress. And you've got lots of different points of view down there about things such as right to work, about things such as the Paris Accord, about things um, about labor standards and imposing the will of the federal government on the state level. And I don't know whether or not these are things that the government or, or Mr. Trudeau think that we're actually going to achieve in the agreement, or are there things that we're going to leave by the wayside in order to get that economic deal at the end of the day? And they shrug their shoulders and they say, well, we tried. Um, we'll have to see what ends up happening. But I tell you, this is not this is not an easy file. And even when you think you're dealing with a friendly administration on getting good labor standards working vis-a-vis Mexico, um, it can be really tough. And now we have a very different administration who doesn't share that point of view. All right. We have a few minutes left to discuss Justin Trudeau, our prime minister, how he's doing at the halfway point. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio with guest host, Jane Brown. We're talking about Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and how he's doing at the halfway point of his four-year mandate. With us on the line is Michael Diamond of Upstream Strategy Group and Conservative MP for Milton, Lisa Raitt. Lisa, how big of a deal in the after-effects of the Omar Cotter payout will that be for Canadians going forward? Have we come to terms with that, or is that an issue that the Conservatives plan to bring up again? Well, prior to the small business tax um, changes that were proposed by Morneau, it was the number one issue that I'd seen in the last eight years in my time as being a member of parliament. It lit up the phones. Um, you were pulled aside in grocery stores you, in whispers. People weren't talking about it openly, but quietly they were very concerned about the sum of $10.5 million and the notion of the fact that the widow of... Um, of the deceased was trying to make sure that uh, she received some of the money as well. And, you know, all that time period, although it seems like such a long time ago now, um, people do remember it. And they were, it didn't line up in partisan politics either, Jane, is what I'd say. I had a lot of, you know, longstanding liberals who would say to me, I didn't agree with that. I I don't know why we did it. And now I think the reason why it's going to stick around as an issue is because the government itself has launched an investigation into finding out who had the audacity of telling the Canadian public that they gave $10.5 million to Omar Cotter. And I think that's going to stick in people's throat as well, and we're going to ask the government questions about that. A lot of people feel that 
they should have known. And the fact the government's trying to punish the person who let it out, I find very interesting. In fact, the government still hasn't indicated how much money they spent because they say that their confidentiality agreement is more important than transparency to the Canadian people. That's wrong. Alex and East York, go ahead. You're on Zoomer Radio's Fight Back. What's your comment about Trudeau and the Liberals? Oh, you mean uh, His Holiness uh, Pope Justin I? I'm not really impressed. I think he is certainly our first social media prime minister. Uh, He is our second imperial prime minister. His father was pretty much the first. Um, I am happy to say that uh, he has not disappointed me. I I didn't vote for him, and I, I wouldn't. I knew he was an empty suit when I saw him campaigning, and that's exactly what he's turned out to be. Uh, now, he is certainly very popular around the world, and he's very photogenic, and he's very politically correct, and everybody loves him. And so he's got that going for him. But of substance, I don't see anything in the man. Okay, let's give him a chance. Sure, let's and thank you for your call. Let's go to Michael Diamond on that. Is it fair to say that Justin Trudeau is an empty suit? It wouldn't be fair for me to uh, to say that I'm biased. You know, I I am a partisan conservative, and I certainly uh, agreed with the caller uh, in the last election, in which I thought of the three options, he was the one who I was really concerned about the prospect of Justin Trudeau leading a government in Canada, and. the record, I think, uh, has proven those voters uh, correct. If you look at he was offside the Qatar deal, I mean, I think that's the place where uh, they like to say that the uh, award from a court may have been more substantial. There's a time to fight, and I think that was a time to fight that uh, in court. And so I, I don't think that's really an excuse that's going to resonate with uh, your average uh, Canadian voter uh, come the next election. Well, certainly and, here on Zoomer Radio, there was an overwhelming support for the idea of going into litigation over that issue, despite the fact that we might have had to pay more, but to stay on principle. And, and, you know, and Lisa commented that this is not a partisan issue, but she's hearing from constituents who uh, I, I'm assuming voted for and voted against during the last election on this issue. And we're also seeing that with the uh, tax changes. We saw, you know, a very well-known partisan liberal, uh, Warren Kinsella, who mm-hmm. uh, ran the war room for Jean Chrétien in three elections. He was a liberal candidate at one point. Uh, take to Twitter this weekend to talk about how shocked he is that the government's looking at raising the government of his party that he's been long associated with is looking at raising taxes on Canadian business people to make it harder for them to make uh, ends meet, to uh, employ other people, to invest in the future. So it's a number of issues like that where you're picking a bunch of small fights and after that it impacts your base and how do you cobble together a winning coalition? Okay, I still have calls on the line. I'm going to suggest that you phone back on Free For All Friday. We are going to uh, speak with our trusted contributors at the Ontario College of Trades. They're coming up here in just a minute. But Lisa, I just, as I promised, going into the break, uh, the refugee situation at the unofficial border crossings and the marijuana legalization by next July. If, If you could just sum those up fairly quickly for us. Sure. In broad strokes, here's what happens. Um, Justin Trudeau's government or Justin Trudeau himself make grand pronouncements are, you know, we welcome you. Come to Canada, he says in a tweet, or he says we're going to make sure that we legalize marijuana by a certain date. And he makes the pronouncement and he expects the provinces to do the heavy lifting and the hard work. And guess what? The provinces are saying this is too much. When you have 
um, folks having to look at finding winter weatherized trailers in order to house the tens of thousands of people who have crossed the border illegally, not just irregularly, illegally in in Quebec, um, you know you have a problem. And, And equally, when the provinces are asking for more time on legalization of marijuana because they're concerned about driving impaired. I mean, my son's 16. He just went through the process of getting his first drive of the learning permit, or G1, I think it's called. And, you know, you take a look at everything he has to abide by, and it's very serious in terms of what we need to do to have licensed drivers. And yet we're going to have a situation where there's going to be a gap in the law in terms of being able to test for impairment on with cannabis. And it's just, again, pronouncements made at the higher level, expecting everybody else to do the work and um, not really caring about what the overall effect is going to be. And I think that would be what I fear is the, the land, um, the legacy of this government so far. Thank you both for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. Michael Diamond of Upstream Strategy Group and Conservative MP Lisa Raid on the hot button issue of how the Trudeau Liberals are doing at the halfway point as they begin their caucus meeting in Kelowna, British Columbia. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.